Welcome to Save the Trauma for Your Mama. I'm Autumn, and I'm here with Lauren, and this is our third episode, and I sing songy every time I talk and begin with the episode. <laughs> That's fine. Okay. It's your brand. So we have some feedback from people just from our first two episodes. That's kind of exciting. It's um, not all positive. <laughs> yeah, but basically we found out that we need to kind of talk more about what the IFB beliefs are the because rules. nobody really knew what our jokes meant <laughs> or what we were talking about unless they were from the IFB. Exactly. So we hope that we have more listeners than just IFB or XIFB. And we do. Um, and we have and really we want, crappy but we want to keep them still. We, yeah, and we want to keep those listeners and grow to more. So we're going to kind of give you guys a synopsis. It might be like a three-episode synopsis. We'll see. Basically, we realized through some feedback that we need to kind of go over the rules and beliefs of the IFB. I know that some of the jokes we made, people might not have taken so well, or they may not have completely understood them, or even just some of our stories you may be confused by because you don't know. That's the thing. Like, our stories will make so much more sense if we go over, like, what the beliefs actually were, what we were made to do, what was wrong and right. If we go over what those things are, then when we do tell stories and we when we do explain why something was so awful or so traumatic, it will make so much more sense. Yep. When we, when we tell those things. Yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about like where the IFB like came from, the Independent mm-hmm. Fundamental Baptists, where that came from, um, kind of <laughs> like the denomination and what it's grouped in. Because I know there's like Pentecostals, Catholics, Mormons, mm-hmm. non-denomination. Where would the IFB fit into in those churches? So IFB is a sect of Baptist churches. Um, Baptist churches have been around for a long time. Um, Baptist comes from the word of like being baptized. John the Baptist. John the Baptist. That's where I get it from. Jesus baptized him. He baptized Jesus. That's what I meant. I don't know. who. I'm sure he got baptized. I don't know. Maybe Jesus did baptize him. Jesus baptized John the Baptist. Wait, I mean... (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so basically the reason that the IFB was formed is because a long time ago, I'm going to not get too detailed with this, but a long time ago, there was a lot of different beliefs within the Baptist churches and they kind of felt the need to like make it known where they stood on things. Fundamental Baptists were formed because they wanted to be an independent, set apart from all of the other sort of... I, I, I want to say clubs, but that's not the right word. So, like a Southern Baptist. Um, conventions. They okay. have, yeah, they have, like, a so, group where all this, the churches are under this one thing. Mm-hmm. And these individual churches wanted to be just that, independent. Right. From what? Higher authority. They wanted... They didn't each. want anybody to be able to tell them what they could and couldn't do within their own church. And believe. And believe, right. And if you're a person who, you know, is, like all about freedom. That sounds really good. Until you get people who are put into leadership that don't know how to self-govern. They have no... Wow, my mind is blown. It's okay. They don't have any accountability. Thank you. 
which I think it's um, important also with each church, the preacher or the pastor who takes over that church. I feel like each church can be different right. depending on who is in leadership and how he honestly rules that church. How he, so if you have somebody who's extremely narcissistic, you're probably going to take what could be a pretty decent independent Baptist church and it's going to end up being in the IFB movement. Um, but basically what ended up happening is you ended up having an IFB movement where all of these churches kind of created their own clique and they would have these rules. And if they found out, so for instance, my church ran like 2000 people. So they felt like they had a lot of power because they were a big church. So if they found out that another church was doing something that they thought was wrong, they would either excommunicate them from their clique um, or they would confront the pastor about it and they would make sure that all the other churches within the clique knew about it. So they essentially... associate with the other churches. Right. So yeah. essentially they were no longer an independent thing. Right. Because they now they're independent, but but the one the churches that had more power, whether yes. it was through numbers or just um, influence or affiliations, were kind of governing all of the other churches within their clique. So the independent in the in the IFB movement wasn't really all the independent. Um, you could only associate with other churches that believe the same way you do. And honestly, it was you're right. Like the clique, like this preacher really jived with this preacher, so their churches did things together. Mm-hmm. They sent their youth. Group Groups to this churches conferences yeah youth conferences they they Camp. camps yeah but if this one preacher's ego really butted up against this other preacher's ego even though they believe the same thing they're gonna be like nah we ain't we're not associating with that church mm-hmm. at all like no and then if there's there, there's a lot of beef in between mm-hmm. IFB preachers because of the ego and yeah. I honestly think for some of the preachers they may not necessarily start out narcissistic but once they get a little taste of that like whoa everybody's looking to me to do this and what I say has so much power Mm -hmm. and then it becomes this pride and this greed and this control Mm -hmm. and it ends up consuming them because they have nobody to answer to but themselves yeah and they're not keeping and being kept in check right they're not being kept accountable and the people that are going to the church are hungry and they want to follow something and they want to you know they, they want to please and it's honestly like if a preacher's like oh my gosh you're such a great member of this church you're so high that feels really good yeah and And i mean as human beings we i think all kind of want other people to perceive us in a certain way and if you give us a checklist and if we we follow that checklist the right way Mm -hmm. and everybody around us is going to perceive us in the way we want to be perceived that's really attractive to us. Yeah. And so I think that that's why churches like this do attract people is because it makes it so easy for you to feel like you're part of the community and you don't have to do that much work. Right. And you on feel yourself. Good. Like it's fake work. It, it is. Okay. Well, I checked this off and this off and right. this off. Look at me. Wow. Yeah. Everybody's like, wow, what, you know, what a outset, gold star for you. Like that's mm-hmm. one of the top tier Christians in the church. You know, mm-hmm. they're, you know, they got the preacher buddy buddy with them. You know, he's so proud. He'll give you like, you, you could know. be like a mean, terrible person who's angry all the time and lashes out. It didn't matter because you went to church all the time. You followed this list and we'll go through this list. So here we go. We're so, gonna, okay. So the, I guess the fundamental part is the beliefs for the most part. 
Most IFB churches believe that the King James Version is the only inspired version. Like you can't have NIV, you can't have ESV, you can't have any other version. It is only the King James Version. And I've the even... inspired inherent word of God. Exactly. <laughs> yes. the verbiage that they use. Yes. I'm trying to be better about explaining those types of little quips we say. And the preachers will get up and be like, if you're reading out of any other version, like I've even heard it told, you cannot ask Jesus to say, you if you read any of the verses that tell you, you know, like, okay, this is how you ask Jesus to save you so that when you die, you go to heaven. They say if you read those verses out of like an NIV or an ESV, mm-hmm. then your salvation doesn't count, which yeah, blows my mind because if you have faith in God, it shouldn't matter what, what version or what. Well, I mean, God created the entire world. I think everybody that believes in God would say that they believe that and yet he can't save you from a different version of the Bible than the KJV 16. God's a lot bigger than that. I mean, if 17. that's what you believe, like that is, so, he's so much bigger than what man has put into this little, you know. We, we like to put God in a box. Well, they certainly do. Mm-hmm. And how, what, how it fits them. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's funny because the gospel is the death, burial, and the resurrection. And the baptism is where you are completely immersed in water. It's not sprinkling. It's not, they will make fun of Catholics and Lutherans and anybody like that because they're like, well, that's just pansy. If you sprinkle, you know, you need to be an open symbol of you are submersed in the water. You're dead. You know, your body's dead. And then you come alive. Like you're renewed with the blood of Christ. Mm -hmm. And they say, you need to ask Jesus to come to your heart to save you so that he'll take you to heaven when you die and then after that you need to make a public profession of faith so basically in front of the whole church you need to be baptized and that's saying like this is what I believe I believe that Jesus is washing me of my sin with his blood and he's saving me and taking me to heaven when I die and I want to tell I want to make a public profession of that. So that's what they believe too. Who that's just- which I will I will say like a lot of that part of it I do still believe. I do believe that you know Jesus came to Earth, died on the cross, paid for our sins. We trust in Him and trust in God and have a relationship with Him. You know that's our eternity. And I don't think being baptized is a pivotal thing on your life necessarily. Right, your your relationship with God, but I think that there is some good things about it. Um, But I don't think that the way that we were taught it was necessarily helpful in any way. And the reason I kind of allude to this is because I've talked about this with my, one of my kids who has gone to church and been talked to about baptism a little bit. And our church is not pushy about it by any means, but they do baptize. Obviously I'm still part of a Baptist church. So that's one of the things that they do. But baptism was like almost so lumped into you made the decision to follow God. So now you have to be baptized and there's nothing else you're going to do right until you do that. And so the first time I was baptized, I was four years old and I had no idea what that was supposed to mean. So in a right frame of mind, the right way to teach baptism is that it is a picture of you telling other people that you have decided to follow God in your life. And if you don't understand that that's part of it, then you shouldn't be doing it. And that's not me being judgmental or anything. I'm just saying like, if you're four years old and you don't get that, don't do it. And there's nothing wrong with that. God's not going to be like, oh, you're a terrible person. You're four. So anyway, I just wanted to kind of throw that out there because I don't think you should get baptized if you don't understand what it means. Um, but I also don't think that if you don't get baptized, you're a terrible person. 
So anyway. Well, I also want to touch that. on this too with like the rules or whatever, the way that I, and this is a thing. We both grew up in independent fundamental Baptist churches and we still both have like a different viewpoint on like mm-hmm. what was taught at our church. Like, like I said, depending on the right. preacher, depending on, like I was in an independent fundamental church in the South mm-hmm. and you were at an independent fundamental church in the, in the North. <laughs> well, no, <laughs> just kidding. I mean like right outside Chicago, it doesn't really get more. <laughs> yeah. And I'm in like the, you know, in between Memphis and Nashville in Tennessee. So I was told that it doesn't matter if you're baptized or not, you're still going to be saved if you make Mm -hmm. a confession. Like I'm a sinner. I realize I'm a sinner. I don't want to go to hell when I die. I want to go to heaven when I die. I know that Jesus came and died for my sins on the cross and I need to accept his free gift of salvation and need to ask him to come into my heart and save me so that whenever I die, I know that I'm going to go to heaven and I'm not going to go to hell. And we were taught that like, even if you don't get baptized, you're still saved. And ours was a once saved, always saved. Mm-hmm. There is a verse that they use where they say, no man can pluck you out of God's hand. Once you ask him, once you're his and you make that choice out of free will, we were taught that we were given a free will and you either choose God or you don't. It's up to you. But if you choose God and you ask him to save you, he's going to save you. And once you're saved, you're always saved. So it is that believism where once saved, always saved. Even if you murder somebody, um, you're still going to go to heaven when you die because you've asked you, you are saved. And we also believed that, and we were taught that, um, if you are a homosexual, it's an abomination and that you will not go to heaven because God has turned you over to a reprobate mind. And that basically means like you're a pervert. I guess like there's no, it was kind of like, there's no hope for those people. Right. Right. Um, so I kind of want to touch on this a little bit because there's something new I've learned on this recently and a lot of the stuff that they talk about within this abomination thing is in Proverbs and I've recently learned that Proverbs is a book that is um principle to live by but not promises. Okay. Okay. So it doesn't mean like if you read a verse in Proverbs that says, like, train up a child in the way they should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. That doesn't mean, like, if you take your kid to church from the time they're born until they're 18 that they're going to go to church for the rest of their life. Because that's that's what you want. That's not a promise. Well, it's, that's what we were taught. It's, if you're teaching your child how to be good, more than likely, they're going to follow that through the, uh, their life. Okay, so that's the difference between a proverb and a promise from God. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the things that they're taking about an abom- homosexuality being an abomination is from proverbs where this is, for one, culturally go back to that. And it's not a promise. It doesn't say, oh, if you're a homosexual, you're going to hell. There's no hope for you. That's mm-hmm. not what it means. And now, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know what the right interpretation of it is, but I know that it's not that. So, we know <laughs> that it's not an abomination. Whether you, And I think it's funny because it's not funny. I'm sorry. I'm going to take that back. It's not funny. It is. I have seen time and time again where it's not a sin that they deal with. They don't have, they say openly that they don't have a problem a few times. 
with a few people that I've seen. They don't have a problem with homosexuality. So they will preach hard and heavy on it. You and they'll say all these slurs and everything from the pulpit and and act like homosexuals or queer people are not human beings that, you know, God has basically cast them out. But a lot of these same people that you hear that from, I mean, I'm not saying all of them, but I have seen a majority of them are the ones that are, I guess I should put out a trigger warning for sexual assault and things like that. I I guess I kind of failed to do that. But just in case, um, I definitely... You can always add it. Yeah, I, that's true. That's true. But I just want to be sensitive and I, I don't want to... I, I just, I guess I want to warn people. We're not trying to sneak it up on you and make you... Right. And, and sometimes you never know when it's going to come up and it's really... So, sometimes it's very hard to like try to preface it because... We don't know. We don't know. And, it's, and it's sad, but it is very common in a lot of churches like this. And so it's kind of like I, I read this stuff all the it time. It has to do with not having any type of accountability. Absolutely. And when you don't have any type of accountability and you're not, you're a narcissistic person who doesn't know how to self-govern and you're put in a point of leadership, you're going to test those boundaries and you're going to do it in a very perverted and terrible way in some cases. Or you're going to find out that your buddy is doing it and you're going to find a way to cover it up for him. You call the shots on that and you don't want your church to look bad. You don't want your people to look bad. You don't want anybody to find out. So you send them to another mm-hmm. church where nobody and knows a about A really it. great way to get people's eyes off of that is to then talk about something so sensationalized within a Christian church of sex- homosexuality. Mm-hmm. And so then people are focusing on like, well, we got to make sure we keep that out of our church and they don't even see what's right under their noses. Right. Because they're hiding these things that are right. like to me, to me personally are the worst things. Yeah. These men that yeah. are preaching about how evil and sinful homosexuality is, but yet their little children in their church are a hundred percent unprotected and are being harmed beneath the guise of honestly, it's, it's so disgusting and terrible. Sometimes it's hard to talk about it, but it is so common. And to me, I feel like it was so demon, like homosexuality was so demonized and it was so awful. And they were so scared of their boys of their boy. Honestly, Mm -hmm. they never really had, they never really taught it to girls, but they were so scared that their boys were going to turn out and be, and be gay if they weren't manly, if they didn't show signs of suck it up, don't cry, you know, be be strong, be manly, like be angry, be, you know, and, and you could be angry, but you couldn't cry. Right. You could be angry, but you, you can say, oh, I'm really sad because you know, my friend left. Like, no, you had to be angry about everything. Yes. If you're a male. I feel like the boys got a really hard time growing up. A little bit worse than the girls. I feel like the girls always had the dress standard issues. And the, and the boys, purity culture. And the pu- purity culture. Hard, yeah. But now how many men do you know about and do I know about that have come out of that and had to deal with different aspects of mental health because they've never been able to or never been taught how to express frustrations um, sadness, heartbreak, any type of negative emotion in a healthy way and be able to release it. And ego and, blows, honestly. And ego blows, which is a huge one because we'll kind of delve into that a little bit with purity culture and stuff too. But the whole system was built to build up a man's ego. And I'm going to be completely honest with you, it was. Well, look how easy that was for them too, because the male was the highest authority. Mm -hmm. The male was in charge of the entire family and they called the shots and they were the ones called by God, not Mm -hmm. the women. Right. In my church, 
It was like a man had a higher connection to God than a woman. Yes, because it really was their their umbrella thing that you saw. Like, I don't know if you've seen Shiny Happy People, and I know we talked about it before, but it was God. And then sometimes, like in my case, the preacher. The pastor, yeah. But it's God, the husband, the wife, then the kids. Mm -hmm. So the husband had to bear this burden of taking care of the family and, Mm -hmm. and protecting and providing. But it wasn't just that. It wasn't just that. It was... I mean, women didn't really matter, truly, unless they were servant to the husband. and, and doing, Or unless they were doing not doing the right. Then they were sending their whole home to hell. Oh, that's true. If they were being rebellious, um, unsubmissive wives. Yeah. But that's that's the thing with this. The men had such a unrealistic standard of truly like life, where the, everything was put on their shoulders, and they were the ones that bore everything, I guess, yeah. in the social realms, I guess. Yeah, and so then all of these things that we kind of haven't really gotten into, like a lot of the trivial beliefs yet but all of these things I think it's important to say were taken as primary things to live by and one of the words that we will use is like doctrine or gospel and when we're talking about that that's what we actually believe to be the gospel or that we actually believe that as doctrine anymore but that's what it was taught as if you didn't follow these things you were doomed and more than likely you were dooming your family too it was like the highest these rules were like not just things to live by but like things to die by as well and so all of that pressure was also like okay the man is the spiritual leader of the home so you need to make sure you're following these and that your house is following right keep your family in check yeah and it's sad because a lot of these things too it's not just what okay this is what we believe the bible says this is what we believe god says this is what the preacher says and if you're out of line and you the preacher has every right to call you in his office and to chew your butt out and to tell you Mm -hmm. like this you want to you know stay right with God and you want your family to not die in a car accident and I know I say that I feel like I've said that a few times but it really was a threat. They used that a lot though. Mm -hmm. It was a threat. a lot but and I don't even think twice about it and the reason is is because it was used a lot as like a threat of like your family's going to die in a car accident or you're going to have your children are going to go to hell in a handbag or like I could probably make a list of like 10 things that they used as threats if you weren't doing the right thing or the will of God and that is what we're kind of going over is what fell under the will of God or the right thing which by no means do we necessarily believe this kind of stuff anymore and when we're done going through this list we will also give you guys what we do believe now yeah we'll give you an Um, update on where we are with our yeah with our beliefs and mm -hmm. and spiritually and and, and church wise and all that I know I said I don't go to church and I know you said you do go to a Baptist church and mm-hmm. uh, but I think this is important and we talked about this you know off the podcast too where it is so nice to be able to talk about what you believe in and not have that affect like your friendship or how mm-hmm. you view someone else like mm-hmm. and whereas before it would have a hundred percent like oh you are a non-believer or you don't believe in the yeah. exact way I do we can't fellowship together you know why we thought that because we, we were, were taught that right you couldn't have friends that were not believers because they might influence you to do the wrong thing. And we're talking about like growing up in this. Um, I mean, so for me, it was all my life being taught this. Um, my family, as I've kind of said in the past, some of the things they didn't buy into completely. And I, it's not like they went and announced it to the church, but 
people kind of notice here and there. And so we were a little bit of like black sheep in the church. And so there were families that would not allow their kids to like hang out with us as much or, you know, if they were hanging out with us, it was because they were going to try to be a better influence on us to be more holy or whatever. Um, So that was one of our things, our beliefs is that you don't hang out with people that, what did we say earlier, that smoke, drink, chew, (laughs) or run with those that do. Yeah. Like, yeah. (laughs) But, and see, that's funny because this is where the contrast for us growing up under the same type of beliefs and being so totally different because my dad was the beaming, shiny example of someone who was obedient to the church, obedient to the preacher, you know, was there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Every time the door was open, he was the bus driver. You know, we were we were always there. And, and he was that one that the preacher could point out from the pulpit like that man right there. That's a good, faithful man of God. And... <laughs> I have had a, I have sat under a sermon under un, under someone where they said God is the top authority, then the preacher, then the man or the husband. Mm-hmm. And when God changes his mind about something, he will tell the preacher, and then the preacher will tell you. I guess the husband or the wife or whatever. Mm-hmm. But so he went directly through the preacher, which I never understood with the belief that we used to believe in the Bible or that I used to believe in the Bible, where it was like <laughs> you go directly right. to God when mm-hmm. Jesus died on the cross he what the veil was torn in the temple like mm-hmm. from the story from there's how the no Bible high priest says. right you don't if have you're... to go to a priest to go yeah. to god you can go directly to god and that's one of the reasons that the protestant and evangelical religion was made is because this is going back to like martin luther is that they didn't want to they they knew that they didn't need the high priest in order to go to god and so essentially the ifb started this teaching of um, that the, the preacher had a more direct line to God than the other people in the church He was did. ordained and called specifically right. of God. And so it's he almost could, like a he prophet. Know, yes. And he could know the will of God better for your own life than you could, which uh, how that ever works, I don't know. But it was always mind boggling to me because literally the one of the primary beliefs of a evangelical church, they were taking and flipping it back to like a Catholicism thing. And I don't know exactly how the Catholic Church believes it, but I do know that they that they still, you know, go to their priest and have a mediator yeah. and things like that. But I also know that they do still pray to God, but I don't know how that all works. Mm-hmm. But basically, that was part of the reason that they took that away from it. And now they're bringing it back. And I know personally, there were times when my own family was told that, um, you know, you shouldn't do this or you shouldn't do that because God wouldn't want you to do that. And it was said in the connotation of the pastor knowing this over the people that it directly affected being people in my family. And it's just another way to kind of put a human being on a pedestal that they don't deserve to be on. Right. We gave gave that the preacher's control. And then there, again, there's no accountability for it. And you, if you're a believer and you believe in God and you have a relationship with him, there shouldn't be anybody else in 
in your life that should be able to dictate what God is telling you. Now, advice and and that type of thing, I think going to someone who is wiser and older, that's one thing. But when you have somebody who you give them, oh, preacher, what should I do? I'm looking to buy a car and and I don't know which way to go or which one to do. This is literally the things that the people of the church would go to. Preacher, you know, like I'm having trouble with my marriage. Okay, you know, all right, if you want to get... But these people, it was set up in such a way that the people depended on the preacher to, or the pastor of the church to control their lives. And like, they were so scared of misstepping and missing God's perfect will for their life that they would go to the preacher and they're like, we don't want to take one step that would lead us astray from God's perfect will that you preach about if we're not doing this or this. And it literally got to the point where psychotically they were going to the preacher over every little thing and being like, what should we do? What should we do? And think about that. When you have somebody in authority who could be, I mean, and and what I have seen, egotistical, prideful, um, loves control and, and is greedy and like, oh, they're coming to me. Yeah, that makes me feel good. I know all the answers. Yeah, I'll go ahead and give them advice on this. And I'm going to go as far as to tell people that when they're having, when I'm counseling them for marriage or, or doing something, I'm going to give threat and I'm going to, oh, if you're going to do this and you're going to be like this, well, this is what's going to happen to you. Because I have seen it firsthand and I've heard it where a preacher gets so much power to his head that it's almost like everything that he does is in the name of God, but it's selfishly. Like, and, and that was my he case. Uses that excuse that it's in the name yes. of God, but it's really, it's really well, goes back to like own his own personal right. ego. And well, name. I'm the man of God and, and you do come to me for this mm-hmm. and you do. The church I went to was like large enough that like people did not go to our pastor for like small things like that. They maybe went to like a staff person like, oh, can you pray with me? I'm going to be car shopping this week and I want to know what car I should buy, whatever. But here's the, here's the kicker, okay? So you got threats so that that way, um, if you stepped out of line, quote unquote, out of line from what the beliefs were, they could say, and something bad happened, they could say, well, that was God punishing you for that. But if you were doing, quote unquote, all the right thing, um, and something bad happened to you, that was like the devil testing you. Or that oh, was yeah. like tribulation that you were going through to, to test your faith. Or This is going to make you God's stronger. Gonna, yeah. So there is a way for them to kind of explain everything and still get what they want. They didn't look like the bad guy. Right. They were the chosen one, the holy right. one, and the one that... Their explanations didn't really have truth behind them. They had agenda behind them. And, and I think true. that that's what's important to say yes. is that they may have used things from like the Bible, but they were taken either out of context or they were used in their own way to push their own agenda. And they were taking advantage of people who really wanted to do good and wanted to have God's blessing on their life because they were taught, if you do it this way, mm-hmm. it, God will bless you immensely. If mm-hmm. you give, if you soul win, which we're going to get into, but if you do all these things that are, you know, required of the church that, you know, they, they preach on, if you do these, then God's going to bless you. And even if you go through hard times, God, it's still a blessing. Praise God anyway. And, mm-hmm. and, and all these things. They also taught that 
every single time the doors were open, you had to be at church. So we have Sunday school at my at my church. We have mm-hmm. Sunday school. We have Sunday morning service. But before Sunday school, we had to get up early and go to the bus route. And that is where we would go and we would knock on doors and pick up kids that we had already gone to doors and asked said, hey, we got programs for church and we want to know if your kids want to come. And then when they say yes, Which we... sound great and yeah. very like, oh, have a program for kids. But so we would write their names down and we would write their addresses down. And usually that happened on Saturday. You had people who went out and um, mm-hmm. what is it so like you... surveyed or something like bus. So in my church, we called it bus calling. Yeah, calling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Calling. Um, and so you would go and you'd talk to all the kids that had come in the past and be like, are you coming tomorrow? Yes or so no. So they knew that you know they would come and pick them up and then you would go for however long after and like make cold calls to people's houses and say and literally so in my church it was literally like if you saw like kids toys out in the yard you'd go yes. to the house that's how you know bicycles and things yeah. laying and in the yard be like hey do you have kids, kids. you already knew the answer because you saw toys in their yard and you were trying to get them and I don't know where it changed because I know when bus ministries first started it was like if you don't have a car to get to church like we'll come pick you up but I don't know where it switched over to being like a kid's ministry only. But now think, think about this. If somebody came to your house from a church locally and said, hey, we're going to pick your child up in a bus and it's where nobody's be, buckled in and it's going to be a bunch of people that Max you've never capacity. met <laughs> and we're going to take them to a church you've never been to no. and we're going to teach them about stuff that you have no control <laughs> over. Yeah. And so now looking back on that, because I there was a point in time where I was required to be part of a bus ministry. Ooh, me too. Um, my dad was actually a bus captain for a while, but that was kind of, he left for other, for some reasons of family. And my dad was a reasons. bus driver for years. Yeah, so both of our, our dads were part of the bus ministry, but my dad left for good reasons. Yeah, so like basically you're handing over your children to strangers. Again, not sure where it went from being a family-oriented thing to a, bus, to a kid's thing, but that's not something I okay. would ever allow. And the other kicker here is is none of these people were required to have background checks. No. Any kind. Oh, nobody in the church had to have, the preacher, you the could, staff. Right. You could work in the nursery. You could work um, in the children's ministries. You could work on the bus route and you didn't have to have a background check. Now, thankfully, the church I grew up in, as far as I know, and this is probably, there's probably instances that I don't know about because it was such a big church and it's been around for so long. I don't personally know of any instances where anything terrible happened in regards to that, but I do know a lot of churches that have had that and the bus was a huge, the bus ministry was a huge part. And that's why I would never let my child well, that's the so thing. You do have parents that are like, oh my gosh, free babysitting? Yeah. Right. Like, go for it. Right. But I I remember. And okay. in, in when bus ministry started, like, people were a lot more trustworthy, maybe? Or people oh. were e- trusted people more easily. Well, it was back know, then. That they were more in the 90s. But. Yeah. In the <laughs> 90s where, like, the kids came home when the when the street lights turned on right. and right. that type of thing. So th- I feel like people didn't think there was more, like, of a, a danger, like a threat. Mm-hmm. But I remember remember when I, I mean, my dad was a driver when we were super tiny and we had a large like black community and in Jackson, there, there were a lot of black people and most of the kids that we picked up were. And, um, and then we, I mean, we had a few, but we were raised in the South and you know, they, Jesus loves everybody is what they taught. They, they love everybody, every color, every, you know, which they should, they're all humans. Like they're all, but I feel like there's such a, a, a racist mentality in the South. It's 
especially when I was younger. And it just was an underlying theme. And it's not right. And it wasn't right. And it, it sucks. But I remember being one of the only little white kids on that church bus with my little fancy dress and my little hair all curled. Um, and, and, and sitting and just being like, you know, oh, we're really doing a work for Jesus. We're really telling these people, you know, they would sing mm-hmm. songs that were so loud and annoying. Oh my God. So loud. Mm-hmm. And they'd scream, I can't hear you. Like they're going to, they're going to yell. Have, okay. So a, a general capacity for a bus, I want to say is it around 30 to 40 kids. It depends on the bus itself. <laughs> we okay. have 80. Yeah. And they would, they would have like 80 kids. They would see, literally see how many they could pack in here. Okay. But here's the thing. Okay. This is not something that was in Autumn's church, right. but she knew about it because she came to the college that was a part of our church. I was on one of your bus routes for like two times and that was it. Yeah. So we were in the suburbs of Chicago and, um, oh man, this is going to be, it's hard. Um, and so there was a lot of different cultures that were represented within the area. Um, and they, the church I grew up in, I'm just going to be honest, was extremely racist. Extremely racist. It was. Um, there was a lot of stuff that was said from the pulpit by our pastor that, I mean, he would have been canceled a million times. I have personally heard Um, it too. And there were, I mean, they didn't believe in any type of interracial marriage between any type of races. Um, if you were white, you married a white person if you were Hispanic you married a Hispanic person if you're black you married a black person and so on so one of the things that they did because they had this mentality that if you were a person of color a black person especially that you were more likely to cause problems um, on the bus route again I really hope all of you understand and know that this is not even close to my belief system now and I do not believe this at all I am relaying a story of what happened in this church and so because they believed that that was that that race was more problematic again racism yeah um they had what they called an account so obviously they couldn't come out right out and say what's your black account for your bus route um so they used a code O, and it came i don't know where it started from but it was initially the orange count mm-hmm. that's what but i, I remember don't know that. where that term came from i don't either um and i do remember the first time i heard it though and my jaw about <laughs> hit the floor <laughs> um yeah this is another reason why my dad quit the bus industry <laughs> good for him. Um, And when he found out they were still doing it, he was floored. But anyway, um, so basically, um, your O count. So if you had um, 60 kids come on your bus and 20 of them were black, your count was 60. And with your O count, it was 50 because those 20 only counted for 10. So literally, so they would do contests and things like that all the time with their bus ministries. And they would literally not allow you to pack your bus full of minorities because they thought they were problematic and they would only count them for half a person. Okay. And this is the type of church I grew up in. Yes. That's the culture I grew up in. That's vastly really hard to hear again. Deep rooted racism. I haven't talked about that in a long time because it enrages me so much. Yeah. Um, yeah. So nonetheless, I'm going to kind of give a short story here. Um, I had not been in our bus ministry or around our bus ministry for a long time. I did not know that this was going on. My dad was a bus captain, which a bus captain is a person who like kind of leads the kids on the bus. Yeah. They lead the songs. They're they usually charge, give like a little, of. yeah, usually give like a little bit of, about a Bible verse or something. Okay. It'll be so, the Bible verse of the week and then like a story and a song yeah. and candy and yeah. And yeah. so the, the bus captain was the person that was kind of like the leader 
of your your bus route um, in your area. They would kind of tell everybody where to go, when to pick up kids, things like that. And there's a lot of different um, buses. Th- yeah. So our church had like, I think at one point, at the highest amount that they had, they had like 22 buses. Ooh, ours yeah. only had like four or five at the most, yeah. I think. I The last time I had been on a bus before I was an adult, I was probably like five or six years old. And then as an adult, I went to the, the Christian college that our church had. And part of the requirement of being there was like, they wanted you to be exposed to all the different ministries the churches had to offer. And so that you could kind of get a taste for it. You could know how to run a ministry in your own church, blah, 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 whatever. So I had to be a part of the bus ministry. And when you were a part of the bus ministry in college, which I think this was set up the way that it was on purpose, you didn't have to go to the meetings where they talked about, okay, you were not required to go. But because I was a member of the church, there were a few times where they asked me to come to those meetings. And I think the reason they didn't have the other kid college students come to that is because they didn't want them to know that they were doing that. But sometimes they would go to it. Um, So I was, I think, 19. And my sister and I went into the bus meeting and they started talking about Ocal. And I had heard that this was the thing, but I didn't know that it was true. I didn't know that it was still being used. And I knew it was a thing because I knew that my dad had a problem with it years and years ago. And that was part of the reason why he decided to be a part of that ministry anymore. But again, never really was old enough to understand what was, how awful it was or how much was going on with it. Um, so I never really asked a lot of questions about it. So my sister is a year younger than me. We came home that day and we told my dad about this. And my dad had been going to the church for um, over two decades at that point. And he was livid. I can't believe they're still doing that, whatever. Um, so my understanding is shortly after that, they did step doing that and I do believe that something that my dad had said something that kind of started the domino effect of them stopping it. Good for him. But I'm not 100% sure on that so but I just wanted to kind of throw that out there. I don't know that they still do it but it was done for at least two decades. I know that for a fact and when you do something for two decades you don't just get rid of the ideas and the belief systems behind it overnight. Right. So anyway. It's deeply rooted. Yeah. And I think that's where I was going with my like I was sitting on that bus with you know I was one of the only white kids but that mm-hmm. is the mentality that they mm-hmm. have that oh well these poor these poor minorities right these poor and it was almost like it you were half they were half of a person mm-hmm. which is so wrong and so like uh, yeah. in every way yeah every way um but it's it's just so I think the whole bus ministry thing with the kids they're you know kids are the heart of Jesus and this is the bus ministry is the heart of the church and we're just out trying to you know win these souls these poor little kids to Jesus and you know we need volunteers like I cannot tell you how many times they would get up in the pulpit and say we need volunteers for the bus ministry for the bus and the bus ministry was one of the most taxing ministries that there was because I mean you you got up on Sunday morning and you and you know you did you got up early you went to all these like at houses five o'clock in the morning <laughs> sometimes earlier I mean our buses some of our buses literally drove two hours to get to the neighborhood yeah. where they were picking up kids. Yeah. Now, granted, there were other churches closer, yeah, but they weren't as good because they weren't IFB. They weren't the, the real truth, the truth. Mm-hmm. But that's the thing where we would get up early and then we'd have Sunday school and then the morning service. And right after that, and there was a whole separate service for the kids where you have all the bus yeah. kids and, you know, church kids. Our church did not allow the bus kids to be with oh, the, the church, church kids. kids. 
everything was separated. And that was because church kids grew up in church, probably were coerced, but their parents were coerced into forcing them to go to the academy that the church had or homeschool them or something alternative to a public school. They didn't want to be influenced. And they did not. Exactly. So they didn't want to allow influence from these bus kids. Again, didn't at that point that didn't it didn't even matter what color your skin was. You were also not good enough to be with the church kids because your parents didn't go to church. When they were literally building the system against them by pulling the children away from their parents to take them to church. Do you know why I think that the bus ministry was so important? Because look what it brought into the church. What do you have to show to other churches to say, wow, look at our church. Look what we're doing. Look at these numbers. It was the mm-hmm. numbers. We, How many kids did you have on the bus route today? It wasn't so that you could keep track so that you didn't lose one or so that it was like, wow, we had this many this week. Let's try to get more next week. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, hey, let's bring these kids in and tell them about Jesus and, and send it them home. It wasn't, hey, let's reach families in need in our community. Let's be, yeah, exactly. It wasn't Because that. that's what it should have been. If they really cared about communities and in their minds reaching people that had lesser needs than they did or more need than they did, they would have had food banks. Mm-hmm. Our church never had food banks. No, they wouldn't they- allow us to go and participate in food banks either because they were run by other denominations of churches and now you're associating with another church. Which is sinful, by the way. But, okay, story time. <laughs> another story. Let's go. I volunteered at a food bank at one point in time. Um, okay, I shouldn't say I volunteered. That's a little bit of a lie. I had to do community service and was, part of it was... Lauren! <laughs> part of it was that I was serving in a commu- at a food bank and one of the staff members of the church I grew up in mm-hmm. whoop, sorry, his wife and her children came into this food bank. A staff member? A full-time staff member. So a full-time staff member of my church. What that meant is that super large. their full-time job was to serve in some capacity at the church. They did not have another job outside. His wife also did not have a job yes, at all. Because she didn't work at the school or anything. Okay. okay, okay. So they had a few children, but not a lot. Probably three or four at the time. I don't know how many they have now. And brought her children to this food bank to get food because the church who ran 2,000 people, our church was not hurting for money. If you ever visited this church, you would be like, holy crap, this church is nice. Nice. Yeah. But they couldn't pay a good enough wage to their staff members. Their pastor, Gold Brickson, is safe in his basement, but they couldn't pay their staff members a well enough wage to make sure that they could buy their own food without having to go to food. That is so sad. And she was so embarrassed, she would not even look me in the eye. And I didn't blame her. And her son was waving at me, and I, you know, waved back. But she was embarrassed because she knew the reason she was there was because her husband was not making a livable wage working at the church where they had every capacity to pay him a wage. To pay them very well. Yes. Another another control thing. And and this is the thing where it's like we we love our staff so much mm-hmm. and this church would not be able to run without them and they would put the, like their value up so high until but, it came time to sign the paychecks. Exactly, but these people would be like, "Man, I'm really doing a service here. I'm serving God full time. I'm giving my life and mm-hmm. my family is all serving." And because it, I can't pay my bills, I'm suffering for Jesus. It it really is it's a martyrdom thing. And it's where the preacher has so much control over them. And it's like, it's manipulative almost where Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, well, we love you and we need you and we appreciate you so much. But 
I have heard time and time again how staff members are barely scraping by and and school Mm -hmm. teachers at the Christian school, if they were really that valued, then they would take up offerings for them. How about that? Instead of of special mm -hmm. love offerings for the guest speakers and they would pay them. That are well to do. Oh my gosh. Gold rings on every finger. These guests. These evangelists that would come in and they would be like, you better make an offering. So wait, maybe we should talk about offerings Let's now. Let's talk about tithes, tithes and, and offerings. And faith promise mission. Faith promise mission. Okay, so tithing yeah. is... 10% of your paycheck that they say from... It has to be 10%. Yeah, of your paycheck. Every Sunday, you give 10% of your paycheck to the church. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter what you make, 10% of your paycheck. That is commanded Gospel. by God. There's no way around it. Then you have your Quote, offerings. unquote, commanded by God. Well, which I have a story about that too. But, and then you have your oh, offerings, sure. whatever the Lord lays on your heart to give. You know, they take up special offerings for, like we said, traveling preachers that come in or missionaries that come in or like singing groups yes look at this they're really doing a work for the lord they're out here doing this let's take up an offering for them they're traveling they're doing this and then if it was a preacher of high like oh wow this preacher is reputation wow yes so well known and he's done such a great work of god donating and building a college and doing this and this our little church doesn't want to look bad we need to you better pull out of your you know your little pockets that are hidden under the mattress and everything else to give this preacher so we look good mm-hmm. like and it was always like a oh the man of god <gasps> tremble before him mm-hmm. oh wow we're not worthy it really seemed that way and then you have your faith promise missions and i know my church was and i think yours was too was very very into missionaries where mm-hmm. yeah our church supported like over 100 missionaries and at one point in my teenage years they started their own um like mission board so basically from their church? Yeah, basically okay. it's like a, a head of missions where they answer to this board. The board gives them resources on support and things like that. So our church had their own mission board and they supported, I believe it was over 100 missionaries. So my church was a little smaller. I would say like 200 at the most. It was between 100 and 200, you know, on a full day. But for mission, we would have, I mean, we had quite a few missionaries, but missionaries were people who, let's say they were sent out of our church. So let's say a married couple, maybe no kids, maybe a ton of kids because they always... If they didn't have a ton of kids, they'd come back with a ton of kids. Yes, they would. (laughs) But People used to ask, so I'm one of seven kids. People used to ask my parents all the time if we were a missionary family. I believe it. I believe it. Because they would all come dressed the same in the same outfits and everything and they come up. But missionaries were, were these couples who were called to a certain country or a certain place. It was either Africa Romania. Um, I, I mean, literally, yeah. it, it wasn't anywhere like Hawaii or you know, it was either like Cambodia, Papua New Guinea. They were they were like third world countries typically. I yes. mean, you did have some that were like, oh, we're missionaries to Ontario, Canada, or yes, you know, Mexico, or yeah. we're church planting in the United States. But most of the time, it was it was impoverished countries. No, Is it there's a greater need. Is that not like? Um, actually, I don't know. If okay. it is insensitive to say third world, third world country, I'm not aware of it. And yeah, and if I'm, it is offensive, if it is, I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. Yeah. I didn't even think about it. 
countries that are less fortunate and impoverished, honestly, mm-hmm. um, where there's disease and sickness and, and not clean water and not enough well, food. And- okay, I, I, that's what we were made to believe. I think these people are like happy on their own because they're like, woohoo, we don't have I Western civilization too. trying to crack their whip of government over us. I have so and much true to freedom. say about. <laughs> I have so but much to another. say about missionaries and about things like that. I really do. I feel like don't mess with with certain people. Like, I mean, woo, there's like the what the Jim Elliot things. Well, I don't want to get into that. Yeah, but. I could I could talk about a whole <laughs> thing I listened to today, and I'm not going to because it's so I know missionaries that so what. What you're supposed to do is go around for about two years to fellow IFB churches that believe the same as your outgoing church that you're going out mm-hmm. of. The church will pay, they will have their members pledge a faith promise missions mm-hmm. where you go up and it's this really emotional time, which I feel like a lot they of would, things they are would play emotional. These videos of people like crying and they didn't have food. Like the, the pledge a kid thing where um, they oh, yeah. play like in the eyes of an angel and the Arms it was of an angel. the arms of an angel, and it, it was like that, but like in a church setting, for and they would have like missions day, conference. You can, yeah, but it was like for two hundred dollars a week or however much you pledge to give God. But this is we'll the go thing. win them to Jesus. Yeah, they will make. They are emotionally manipulative. Mm-hmm. They will put up these things. And, like I don't have a problem with people going on missions trips, people going to other areas of the world to bring people things that they might need, right? Or having or going there to help build houses or if there's a natural disaster those are really cool and great things and i'm more than happy to support it but that's not what this was this was because these people have never heard the name of jesus they do not have the king james version bible they must go and you know why i'm saying this because i went to college Mm -hmm. for translation of languages to translate the bible into their language so that they were allowed to do that as a woman yes so that they wouldn't i'm from the south so no, I'm just kidding. No, so that the they southern wouldn't... women will rise again. <laughs> no, so that these people will know the name of Jesus and know the gospel and the plan of salvation. Because if no one tells them, they will die and go to hell. Oh, this is just what we brought back believed. like the, the song that they sang. Here am I. I will go. Oh, that one too. I was I thinking. Little children are falling into a burning oh, hell. Like, well, okay, so falling to of God. course, when you see these poor, these poor, like starving children, and there's emotional music put behind these videos, mm-hmm. especially as a child watching oh, yeah. these things, and I you had would, no money, so you'd be like, "I'll be a missionary to Africa." Oh, that was me. Me too. I did. I played. I think I said China or something. I don't know. No, I. But this the is the thing. It's so manipulative, and it's you're looking at these things and your heart is being torn apart because you're like, who's going to tell them? These people are going to die and go to hell. And like, if they don't accept Jesus into their hearts, like, oh my gosh, like I, there's got to be, I can help in some way. And they're like, you can help in some way. You can come up and you can sign this pledge card and you can write down how much you want to give weekly, monthly, yearly, doesn't matter. But mm-hmm. you're going to pledge that for two whole years or a year or two years. It was very pressured. It was very um, manipulated and yes. it was very like, 
like um, calculated. And it was. the way that they would do it. Yes. And it was. Once everyone was crying. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they were like, all right, give us your money. Yes. And that is what it was. And it was. And they said, but listen here, you made this vow and this promise before God. And if you break that promise, uh oh, you better watch out. God's going to get you. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's literally yeah. what it was. Yeah. It really was. But they also taught that about tithe, too. Um, and our church also did. So you had your tithes and then you had your offerings. Was anything more than 10%? Just whatever the Lord laid on your heart. Right. Well, our church had a program called Vision and our pastor was actually the person that like founded this idea where you would basically have a project that your church needed to get done. Mm-hmm. Okay. If it, you needed to build a new building, if you needed to redo your parking lot, um, if you needed to, you know, put a new roof on, whatever it was, you had like Vision Unlimited and in the like mindset of like financial security, you would ask your members to pray about a sum that they would pledge to over a year or five years, depending on how big the project was, would depend on how long the length of their pledge was, mm-hmm. and would pledge money to this, and once all of the money was there, then they would do the project, which is great in theory, but again, they would manipulate it into you have to do this to be blessed by God, you have to do this, and if you pledge it and you don't do it, you're wrong, but you better pledge it because you're going to be wrong if you don't. Right, and who doesn't want to be blessed by God? Right, so, and it was, it was a promise to be blessed back financially. It was. For help. Yes. Like, which you have no, zero control over. Right, right. And even, yeah, there's no no control over that. No. They don't have control over it. No. But because you already had this mindset in place that the pastor of your church had a more direct line with God, you had this mentality and this belief system that they could pray blessings upon you or cursings. Oh, absolutely. And so that's where that came from of like, oh, I learned what the pastor says. Yeah, because I had someone personally in my life tell me that they prayed for someone to die and that person died. So they better, they better watch out. They better get their, their shit together. Excuse me. But um, also I wanted to say with this, so I have a story about tithing as well. So I was in church and was told to study out tithing in the Bible, study out different doctrines in the Bible. Um, I don't want to speak for my ex-husband. I'm going to tell my, my story, my perspective. I don't want to speak for him, but this is what, you know, my, my perspective is on this and really, you know, wanted to just study kind of like restudy Bible doctrines, you know, now that you're an adult and you're older and, you know, really go through and, you know, he wanted to be a preacher and, you know, I was eventually a preacher's wife and obviously. I, I wanted to be really heavily involved in the church as well. But the subject of tithe was studied about. And when it was brought to a preacher, the preacher was like, okay... And he said, well, this isn't necessarily biblical. The 10% of the tithe, they look at and actually study. That's not what they were talking about. And the Bible was 10% of your paycheck. Mm -hmm. And the preacher agreed. And he was like, so, you know, like, uh, what what are you going to do? And he said, well, it's a system that works. And and our, you know, what we've been taught in our beliefs, it was like, well, you know, we need to keep the lights on and everything. Okay, but what about the faith that you preach about that if, you know, you needed something provided for, the Lord's going to lay it on the members' hearts to give what they need to give so that these things can be provided for. Don't go up there and say, hey, this is what the Bible says. You either do this or God's going to curse you or God's not going to bless you. And um, that preacher eventually got up in church and said, you know, there's a bunch of wolves in this church that are trying to sow discord. And, you know, I don't know. I remember the wolf part. I don't remember all of the verbiage that he used, but he said, if your children 
end up being sick in the hospital or end up dying, well, maybe it's because you didn't believe in tithing. And maybe it's because of this. And I, <laughs> that was probably the last straw for me with that church and that that pastor because how like honestly the audacity for you to play God and for you to sit there and, and agree that it's not biblical but then when you get up in front of your church and say no this is 100% biblical and we have wolves in our church and if they don't obey this commandment air quotes commandment that their kids might die because like I'm sorry but if if somebody doesn't have a problem with that like mm. yeah I don't care. I don't care what you're you're using as a like tool to try and say that that's what's going to happen to your family. That's you evil. don't say that. It's evil. You don't say that. That's no. like, um, excuse me. Do we need to throw hands in the parking lot? You're threatening my family. <laughs> that is the thing. That it, to me, it just doesn't like. I do not understand. Like, oh, you're th- you're threatening me. Are you threatening me? Right. No, I'm just that's, <laughs> seriously, that's where my mind would have gone to. Is like, uh, I mean, I've been a sermon illustration but not in that oh way. and we have stories okay. about being sermon illustration which is sermon illustration is basically what she said when a pastor tells a story or says something about you without using your name but most of the time because our our churches were such a tight-knit community even like the church that I went to with being like you know almost 2,000 people or 2,000 people-ish People knew my family really well. So when something was said about a person, myself, or a person who had been going there for a long time, almost every time people were like, oh, I know who that is. Oh, yeah. And it, it was like enough was said where you knew who the person was on purpose. Yes. Without saying the name. This is a common theme in IFB churches with narcissistic preachers where especially smaller churches, everybody knows everybody. I mean, like you're saying, and I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not just, you know, whatever yours. I'm just saying like... <laughs> Oh, I mean, just fine. It's fine. What? No, but no. <laughs> you, no but the thing is, is that just I was never, I was never a part of your church, but you were a part of my church, right? So you do yeah, know. It's weird. Yeah, there know. were certain families that they targeted for sure, and certain that they totally uplifted. So in my oh, yeah. church, it was very you knew exactly the person because the preacher would go into great detail <laughs> about. I'm not saying names, but well, my preacher would look at you and be like, "You know who you're talking. You know who I'm talking about." Yeah, our pastor does too. Yeah, you know that you're the one that, and just like look at you, and you're like, oh my god. But this is this is something where it's like the the amount of fear that was put out, and the amount of control. Even me as a teenager. So we had a youth group section where all from seventh grade to twelfth grade mm-hmm. sat on one side of the church in the front. The boys sat in the front, and the girls sat in the back because the that way the boys couldn't look at the girls' butts. <laughs> behind the boys exactly just in case exactly so oh my god (laughs) so (laughs) no it's funny it's hilarious so we would sit up there and he would always turn towards the teenagers and preach at them how rebellious they're being, how they need to listen to authority because for a child, anyone in authority was, you listen to, you obey. doesn't matter if it was your father, a random man in the church, oh. a random woman in the church, anybody that was older than you, you Scary had practice. Oh yeah, you had to listen to. So if you were sitting there on a Sunday morning and the air is 
pumped up and it is for a reason cold and you've got your arms crossed and the preacher's preaching something that he doesn't think or he thinks that you don't like and he happens to glance your way and sees oh what a rebellious spirit she's got her arms crossed you sitting over there with your arms crossed like you don't want to hear what I have to say this one's for you and you're like oh, I'm just cold like no you're the only I'm... one in your row yeah you weren't even paying attention until he said anything and we're like what me what were you talking yeah, about no, yeah exactly no I was always I was one of those the people pleasers that was nodding and yes I'm listening to yes oh validating him like anytime you look at me I'm like but as a woman you couldn't say amen in church no oh that's another thing yeah the men would be like hey men preacher preacher get him like if he's going off on somebody and you know who they're talking about and you think they're living a more sinful lifestyle than you are get him preacher and they'll Mm -hmm. tell you and they'll slap their bibles and be like come on come on preacher let's go and he's like you homosexuals and you men lusting after women in pants and because meanwhile we're putting our our boys in front of the girls so they don't look at your butt yeah you can't turn around man no <laughs> but this and is a nut- in your hanky. so let's go into this i know this is totally the amen uh, thing. that was the amen thing mm-hmm. and the women are to be silent in the church yeah they are not allowed to preach they are not allowed to teach men you can't they, okay so it was even um to the point where you couldn't be in a leadership position over a man yeah okay so the church that i go to um i'm just gonna like be open and honest is part of the southern baptist convention and Mm -hmm. recently the southern baptist convention took all of the churches that had women pastors out of the southern baptist convention okay okay again not something that i'm gonna like get into right on because that's not what this is about. Um, but that's how the IB was. Mm-hmm. You couldn't, but to an even more extreme extent, like our missions um, leader in our church is a woman, amazing person. Mm-hmm. And um, you couldn't even do that. You couldn't have, so the one woman that was a leader in our church, she was over the nursery and only women were allowed to work in the nursery. Mm-hmm. Yes, same thing. Um, so, or which, a couple. I think when we, I was younger, it was like a couple, yeah. but after that, it was strictly women and teenage girls. We we couldn't have any men in the nursery, um, which I don't, I mean, when I was a kid, it was just like, well, yeah, men don't need to be around kids and babies. And Why do you think a- we thought that as children? Uh, oh, I wonder. Let's Maybe. make a whole other episode on that. Oh, yeah, we will. We'll talk about <laughs> um, But they also didn't do background checks on nursery workers nope. either. Um, nope. Sure didn't. But, um, but yeah, so the only woman who was like over a ministry in our church was our nursery worker, and that was because it was over babies women and, and babies uh-huh. and children. Yeah. So you couldn't be in a leadership position. You didn't have as a direct line to God as your husband or your father. If you were not married, you were technically still under your father's authority. You should have <sighs> biblically stayed living in your parents' house until you got married. Am I wrong on that? No. Did you and get, I would you love that to too? expound on this subject right here. And yeah. yeah, I want to absolutely tell some things about this subject right here. But uh, you're right. Like the women were not allowed to hold any like there were Sunday school teachers of children that were women in my church. They were Sunday school teachers. The KJ. Yeah, you could be a Sunday school teacher. Well, my KJ. Wait, hold on. Kids for Jesus was a KJ church. Sorry, I was trying to think of it. When I was little, before you became a teenager, you were in KJ church on Sunday mornings. It was Sunday school with a woman. And it was um, for a while sometimes, like when I was teeny tiny, it was boys and girls. Then as you got older, it was just girls. Mm-hmm. And the boys had just boys. And then KJ. KJ Church was Kids for Jesus Church. That was from about 
6 to 12 years old. That was all of the church kids and all of the bus kids. And we had girls on one side and boys on the other. A woman was never allowed to teach that because you had songs, you had, you know, games, you had all, it was kids Probably too because there were men working in that ministry. Mm -hmm. And if she was teaching, then she was probably being like an authority over them. Exactly. So that's probably why. absolutely. So that's probably why they wouldn't do. Right. There was no, no allowed the women to, to speak at all to the kids in, in, in the big But if church. you had like a ladies conference, you would have oh, women Lord. of the church come and do that too. Oh, that's and a they would lead it and blah, blah, blah. And they would tell you like some frou-frou verse about submitting to your husband. We are going to have a different episode on talking about this whole thing where it's once just, you're married, or what they trained you like from a child to your future to be the servant of, honestly, sorry, mm-hmm. but and like it, not sorry, servant of the man, the mm-hmm. husband. And it it will tie a lot into purity culture too. Oh yes. Which is a really hard one for both of us. Honestly, like I may act like I'm like, yes. I'm going to kind of preface this with a controversial statement. Purity culture is very instrumental in grooming girls to be sexually abused and not worth it. Absolutely. I agree with you 100% on that. Um, so anyway. So, okay. Next. <laughs> with this, with this where the, the girls, you know, if you're not married and you're, and you're single, which you try to go to Bible college because there you find a, a godly young man. But, okay. So let's, let's talk about, let's talk about the dating then. So you are not mm-hmm. allowed. I was if not you allowed. Watch, if you watch Shiny Happy People and they talk about courtship in there, that's very similar to what we, be- yes. we were taught. Yes. It wasn't dating. We were not allowed. I wasn't. I wasn't either. Okay. I mean, as a, from my church point of right. view. Right. Okay. From, from okay. a belief system. You're not allowed to date because that's, dating is seen as like just for fun, just dating around, hanging, but courtship well, was. we were always like the, the thing that they, the phrasing that they always kind of used, which isn't verbatim, but basically like dating is for hookups and sex mm-hmm. and courtship is for marriage. Yeah. It is to, your goal is to marry that person. Right. If you have started the process of courtship, it's because you already have seen your yourself married. Yes. And so for that... So every time I hear the phrase, I'm like a bachelor, I could totally see myself marrying them. I'm like, <laughs> triggered. Six weeks, six old Some of them work out, but <laughs> most of them don't. But okay, so for dating, we were not allowed to, girls and boys, since the dawn of your existence, were not allowed to touch. You were supposed to be six inches away from the opposite sex at all times. Doesn't matter. You couldn't, you couldn't hug your friends, which my, I'm going to, throw my parents under the bus a little bit here. My parents didn't um, enforce that with us. Like we oh, have different absolutely enforced. Um you couldn't some churches, my church's church didn't preach this, but um you couldn't shake hands as a teenager with a person of the opposite gender. Like handshaking time, you would Oh, here we go. Handshaking time. <laughs> so you would have your song service and then they would be like, at the chorus of this song, we're going to all take a minute to fellowship. And everybody would go around and shake each other's hand and be like, the oh, good to see you here. Yeah. And like, I don't know why we did it. It was a it fellowship was... because the Bible talks about fellowshipping with your brethren. So it was like, you turn around, turn around and shake your neighbor's hand. Shake and somebody's hand. And tell them you're glad to see them at church today. So that was the time where like, for me, like I didn't like any of the boys in the youth group. 
group or whatever or growing up. But you got to, I got to shake hands with anybody. Yeah, uh, my church allowed you to shake hands. But I know, like, Aaron went to a church that you couldn't. No. Well, and that didn't make sense to me. And I think that was the time where we were like, hell yes. Because, like, we get to, <laughs> we get to touch a boy. But that's the thing is that we were so, like, every, every type of um, interaction with the opposite sex um, was so, like, sensationalized that it we were, like, almost overly sensitive to it. And oh, everything yeah. was, like, became sexual. Even everything like became sexualized. You Absolutely. bumped elbows or your knees touched when you were sitting next to each other. Like, you, like, oh got, like, your heart started pounding. Yeah. And, you know. Yeah. But, see, and, and with handshaking, going back to handshaking, um, during that time, all the kids, the little kids, not the teenagers, um, and the kids that were out of the nursery, the preacher would stand up on the platform behind the pulpit and while the piano is dun 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 all that you picked up that hymn Uh real quick (laughs) the kids would line up and they would go up to the preacher and they would hug him and we would have to kiss him on the cheek and we would all line up and do that every single time Sunday morning Sunday night that's so messed up our church didn't do that part every every week yeah that's weird so also like just kind of going back when you had to be there every time the church was open we also had like a Wednesday night service. You were basically always at church. You never left. Yeah. So you had to be there we're Sunday morning. And then, well, there was a bus route, Sunday school, Sunday morning service, bus route, a little break to eat lunch or go home if you live close. Then you had choir practice. So your day of rest. Yeah. You're working. After working all week. and So literally working all week or going to school all week at the Christian school. But we'll get into the but school But you stuff. couldn't work on that, like your job, your paying job on Sunday? No. Because Sunday's your day of rest. Right. But by all means. We're going to work you to the bone and have you running around like a chicken with head cut off yeah. through the church. Yes. You don't actually get a day. No, you don't. Mm-hmm. And then you have Sunday night, you have church or choir practice. Mm-hmm. And then as teenagers and sometimes younger kids, if we didn't have anything to do while our parents were in choir practice or doing something else, we were forced to go to sign language class because we didn't, we weren't supposed to be idle teenagers because an idle mind is a devil's workshop. And they thought, us teenagers were going to go sneak around and, and do stupid things. Stupid things. I was like, I don't <laughs> want to do anything with any of these people. <laughs> but Well, I mean, if you thought, like, that shaking hands with somebody was, like, super exciting, the most you would probably do is, like, you know, sit with your knees touching. Yeah. Or play footsies under the table. Ew. Ugh. Ugh. Sorry. I just saw everyone in my youth group was hideous, and I hated them all. No, but... I'm oh, I had, like, a, I had, like, a guy from the time I was in seventh grade to, like, I was a junior in high school that I thought I was going to marry. So. Oh. Well, see, uh, I'm not even going to get into that. No, yeah, that's right totally now. fine. But that's the thing where they didn't want the teenagers or the kids running around with no parents or nobody to watch over them because they thought you were going to do bad at every corner and every turn. Like every second that, that you're not watched, you're going to get in trouble. Uh, it just doesn't make sense to me. Like it, it just mm-hmm. never made sense to me. And then you had Sunday night service, which was like two hours long of preaching. And the Sunday night crowd was always labeled the heart of the church because the cream of the crowd. The cream of the crop. That is the, those are the true faithful members who are there every time the doors are open. Yeah, I said that about our Wednesday night services. Well, I guess Wednesday night too. But, and then so if you 
went to the Christian school, which you were not allowed to go to public school at all because Did it was Did your church worldly. have a Christian school? At, yes. In, in it too? Okay, yes. I thought so. Starting from third so grade to when I graduated high school. It so was, the kindergarten, first and second graders, they were of reprobate minds. They mm, could just go to public school. No, it just started again. We had closed it down. And then by the time oh, I Oh, that's when grade, you went. Oh, okay. I, went. I thought yeah. your school I didn't have started first. at third grade. No, let's talk about this though. I didn't have first and second grade. You didn't go to school at all? No. For first and second no. grade? I went to kindergarten at a Christian Were school. Were you homeschooled? I was homeschooled and my mom had back surgery and didn't do anything with us. So I played Barbies all day, every day. Heck yeah, man. For first and second grade. My kind of school. This is why I'm really dumb. No, so those are crucially. <laughs> so when years. are we going to see the Barbie movie together? <laughs> I know, right? You know, I was obsessed with Barbies. Because, oh, I was too. Well, and think about one it. One day I came home from school and my little sister, who was a year younger than me, she wasn't in school yet. As soon as we opened the door, she comes running down the kitchen and she's like, Mom threw our Barbies in the trash! No. And we were bawling our eyes out. It's still a traumatic memory for me. Oh, no. But, well, see, yeah. my, anyway, why we like well, Barbies? I think why we like it and why I liked it is because that was an escape from reality. I got to create any reality I wanted because I hated my reality. Yeah. Well, and you could experiment with different realities without getting in trouble as long as your parents didn't hear or like whatever oh, adult yeah. was supposed to be watching you. you my parents like, weren't watching me. Let's make out with Ken. Oh, no. My parents weren't watching me and be like, all right, my husband's gone to work. I'm going to have an affair with the Domino's guy. <laughs> Oh, hey, hey, hot stuff. Want to deliver me a, a pizza oh, while you're at it? <laughs> oh, no, my husband walked in on me. <laughs> the Domino's guy was a G.I. Joe. I don't even know how I got Joe. him. Well, yeah, I mean, come on. Heck, yeah. But that's the thing. We I, weren't allowed to have Ken, so he stole my brother's G.I. Joe. Oh, I wasn't allowed to have Ken. That's what I'm saying. I don't know where I got this G.I. Joe from, but I... Stole, or I didn't steal, sorry. I didn't steal none. I took one of my girl Barbies and cut her hair and drew a beard on her. And I named her Barbecue. And she was trans. And she loved all the ladies. And my dad picked it up one day and he goes, what is this? And I was like, you won't let me have a kin, so here's Barbecue. <laughs> uh, like, but, but it's so funny because a lot of the stuff that they like enforced upon us like you can't have a Ken doll and then why like, is that though well because he had like a bulge I don't know there it's was no penis like we could pretend sexual things with right him. that's why right they automatically like, assume that we but would then do that. if you were pretending those sexual things with another girl Barbie that was like so much worse but yet the reason that you were doing it is because you didn't have a Ken doll and that's the natural. Like, to me, that was so natural for me. Right. was like and a man what, and a woman for me at that time. I was like, all right, let's get it on. But it's like <laughs> we couldn't. It made me think it even more because I couldn't have a Ken doll. I was just complaining, oh, right. mommy, daddy. And I'm like, but why? Oh. Oh, wait. But I didn't even know. There, I didn't even there's know. There's got to be something there. So you're sparking this curiosity at such a young age. Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening. I know we may not be the easiest podcast to listen to since we have zero experience and our equipment is poor quality right now. (laughs) Hopefully that will change in the future, but we appreciate you even taking the time to listen. I know this podcast is not for everyone, but it is a part of our healing journeys and maybe it can be a part of yours. This conversation was about three hours long, so we're breaking it up. And if you'd like any questions answered on the pod, you can message us at um, it's STY Mama Podcast. 
it's our Instagram page. And if you just want a safe place to talk, you can just feel free to DM us. Um, we don't even have to talk about it to anybody else or put it on the podcast. But if you have like a story or something that even just a comment, like feel free to message us. But we can't wait for you to hear more. Bye.